Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of brilliance. Talking about book 11, chapter 29. What is your reaction to Pierre and the French becoming so close? And are you surprised that Pierre brought up Natasha and what he said about her? It was a little bit surprising. He hasn't really spoken to her uh, about her. and But it also makes sense, you know. This guy's a kind of a perfect stranger. So it doesn't really matter what he tells him at this point. Ripster66 says, I enjoyed this chapter and watching poor Pierre become friendly with an enemy officer. Even talking to him about his most private thoughts about Natasha, it makes sense that Pierre would feel comfortable talking to someone so far removed from the situation, someone who knows none of the players and uh, has no stake in any outcome. How refreshing for Pierre, but also how confusing for him. Still scarred from the last battle and now friendly with someone on the opposing side. It could make one question the futility of war. Seeing humanity in your enemy makes it much harder to fight him. Wap Wap Away says, When I noticed today's chapter is almost 10 pages long, over 1,000 pages done, in the Penguin Classics edition, by the way, I was mildly worried, but this was a fast read, and interesting. I think that this is one of the only chances Pierre really has to talk about his situation. I mean, in his position, and with his wife, he can't really trust anyone with such things. I imagine. So it's not that surprising that he brought Natasha up. Also, Tolstoy mentioned the the blondness of Germans in a book like this that stood out, almost like unintentional foreshadowing. I do find it amusing how just like unanimous this hatred for Germans seems to be, like it's just the most normal thing in the world in this uh, universe to hate the Germans, no matter if you're French or Russian or whatever you are. Germans are the worst. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, I don't really get that, but I do find it funny. Anywho, what are we up to then? Book 11, chapter 30. goes like this. The glow of the first fire that began on the 2nd of September was watched from the various roads by the fugitive Muscovites and by the retreating troops with many different feelings. The Rostov party spent the night in Mytishchi, 14 miles from Moscow. They had started so late on the 1st of September the road had been, been blocked by vehicles and troops. So many things had been forgotten for which servants were sent back and they had decided to spend that night at a place three miles out of Moscow. The next morning they woke late and were again delayed so often that they only got as far as Great Mitischi. At ten o'clock that evening, the Rostov family and the wounded travelling with them were all distributed in the yards and huts of that large village. The Rostov's servants and coachmen and the orderlies of the wounded officers, after attending to their masters, had supper, fed the horses, and came out into the porches. In a neighbouring hut lay Raevsky's adjutant with a fractured wrist. The awful pain he suffered made him moan incessantly and piteously, and his moaning sounded terrible in the darkness of the autumn night. He had spent the first night in the same yard as the Rostovs. The Countess said, She had been unable to close her eyes on account of his moaning, 
and at Mistichi, she moved into a worse hut, simply to be farther away from the wounded man. In the darkness of the night, one of the servants noticed, above the high body of a coach standing before the porch, the small glow of another fire. One glow had long been visible, and everybody knew that it was little Mistichi's burning set on fire by Mamanov's Cossacks. But look here, brothers, there's another fire, remarked an orderly. All turned their attention to the glow. But they told us little Mistichi had been set on fire by Mamanov's Cossacks. But that's not Mistichi, it's farther away. Look, it must be Moscow. Two of the gazers went round to the other side of the coach and sat down on its steps. It's more to the left. Sorry, one second. It's more to the left. Why, little Mistichi is over there, and this is right on the other side. Several men joined the first two, seeing how it's flaring. Oh, see how it's flaring, said one. That's a fire in Moscow, either in Suschevsky or the Rogovsky quarter. No one replied to this remark, and for some time they all gazed silently at the spreading flames of the second fire in the distance. Old Daniel Terence Teach, the Count's valet, as he was called, came up to the group and shouted at Mishka. What are you staring at? You good for nothing. The Count will be calling and there's nobody there. Go and gather the clothes together. I only ran out to get some water, said Mishka. But what do you think, Daniel Terentich? Doesn't it look as if that glow were in Moscow, remarked one of the footmen. Daniel Terentich made no reply and again for a long time they were all silent. The glow spread, rising and falling farther and farther still. God have mercy, it's windy and dry, said another voice. Just look, see what it's doing now, oh Lord. You can even see the crows flying. Lord have mercy on us sinners. They'll put it out, no fear. Who's to put it out? Daniel Terentich, who had hitherto been silent, was heard to say. His voice was calm and deliberate. Moscow, it is, brothers, said he. Mother Moscow, the white. His voice faltered, and he gave way to an old man's sob. And it was as if they had all only waited for this to realise the significance for them of the glow they were watching. Sighs were heard, words of prayer and sobbing of the Count's old valet. All right. That's the end of that chapter. Moscow is burning. They're 14 miles away and they can see it. Oh, that's not a good sign. All right. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.